Welcome to the CX Impact Podcast. Speed up your customer experience success. The CX Impact Podcast is brought to you by Gemseek, your trusted analytics advisor, helping you predict what your customers will do next. Hello, everybody. I'm Omchu Blasko, host of the CX Impact Podcast and CX Champion at Gemseek. I hope you liked the previous episode on, of the podcast. If you haven't heard it yet, you can find it on Spotify, YouTube, and SoundCloud. I finally have as a guest a CX former leader. We'll focus our attention on how to design and execute digital transformative and impactful CX solutions, how to move your CX program to the next level, why now is the time to invest in CX, and how to guarantee your success in the new normal. I'm pleased to have today as my guest, my colleague and friend, Liliana Petrova. Liliana Petrova is a customer experience consultant committed to pursuing the customer happiness. She has developed CX programs from initial concepts through securing budgets and approval from the senior executive leadership team to seamless execution and continuous improvement. Liliana currently has her own consultancy where she helps some of the market leaders to connect you with powerful, creative customer experiences that lead our industry and our clients into the future. She is also a well publicly known speaker and coach. Liliana, thanks for being on the CX Impact podcast. Thank you for having me, Monty. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Okay, to begin with, um, I'm asking, asking most of my guests really what's their path in CX and uh, why you have selected uh, the field? Uh, my path to CX um, was quite long actually and uh, I keep telling people that this is not probably will not be your first job out of college um, and I also kind of backed into CX in a way like I first did it and then I realized this is what I'm doing and that's how I figure out that's what that's my passion um, I from very early in my career I was very committed to cross-functional experiences and I think that is the key for a great customer experience professional um, kind of looking for being uncomfortable most most of your first 10 years out of college um, because that's the best place where you learn um, and also being open-minded to uh, rotating and changing uh, the functions that you perform in a company. Um, I think these are these are very good foundational skills to get you to um, customer experience because as we all know customer experience by definition is a cross-functional field. And uh, what we see, what you exactly described that none of the people who work at CX have studied uh, CX as a discipline at the university, they might have something similar, but they can't, you can't graduate from CX. So it's very interesting that you studied finance and worked uh, initially as a financial analyst in many companies as well as JetBlue. Still, this is not a typical background for me personally, for CX leaders. Most of them, you know, they're exposed to some very customer-facing roles, might be within customer service or sales or something. So I'm interested really to learn how this transition happened. And what skills did you bring from finance into CX? That's a great question. Before I go there, one of my favorite quotes of this month was a client who said, to be a customer experience professional, you need to have had experiences. So um, I think right. that's, that's a really good way to put it uh, and finish my previous um, uh, point. Um, so, I mean, the explanation of finance is, is quite, quite um, it's more boring than it sounds on paper, um, I just had no choice. Um, 
I initially wanted to be an economist um, and actually when I was in Bulgaria where I'm born and where I'm from I'm currently in New York I should say that um, I've been here 19 years uh, but in Bulgaria I initially studied to be um, a teacher actually um, I almost did three years of, of uh, university to be a in the university to be a Russian teacher professor. But then when I came to the United States, um, I picked up finance because I wanted to learn the economy of Bulgaria from an outsiding perspective. Um, I kept being confused why our country wasn't doing so well and why a country like America was doing so, um, so, so well and, and was kind of like a symbol of economic success. Um, and I really wanted to continue into that trajectory but it didn't work for me for many reasons so I stuck with finance um, but I always was on the lookout of how to move to a customer facing and client facing role um, most people who are finance you know people outside in, in the audience they know that it's this is mission impossible moving from what we call back office to front office or, or client facing role is uh, is really really a, a hard transition and, and very tough to execute um, so I did incremental uh, moves to get there and it took a couple of years um, I looked out for projects that uh, kind of had me as the finance role but while uh, being uh, you know design focused or customer facing focused and that's how I got my way um, to to uh, you know to the front office uh, type of positions um, the big quote-unquote break was when I, I was able to move into marketing. And I think marketing um, as a foundation is fantastic skill uh, for a customer experience professional, uh, but it's not all, especially at a, at a higher level. And for me, what, what I realized, um, of course, later in, in my life, it's never in the moment, um, is that finance was the best base for, for me to do customer experience, because now I'm much more comfortable with building business cases, and getting more uh, funding uh, or proving the worth and, and the return on investment of customer experience initiatives uh, where other people shy from, from this type of work for me that's very familiar that's super interesting uh, and really we see exactly that that many people are struggling with proving the financial impact of customer experience and um, it might be also partially of their background that they're really coming from finance uh, as a discipline or uh, other discipline which really allows them to play with numbers and build a solid business case you know numbers are for those who haven't used them are very scary and at the end yeah. of the day, what I say in finance, a good finance person is uh, is like a brand designer, but with numbers. So you have yeah. to have a, a certain level of comfort to you know, to use things, to not be certain of the number, but still present it and be open to defend your assumptions. And I think this is where people miss the mark. If you can tell us more about your work at JetBlue, really inspired many people and proved that a quick digitalization uh, and transition to customer-centered culture is possible. Uh, you also managed to do a lot in less than four years. Um, can you tell us how you managed to do this? And uh, as we know that many people are struggling in doing um, similar transitions in over 10 years. That's funny. Uh, well, first, I didn't sleep a lot. I think I should, I should <laughs> disclose that. 
Uh, these were the years before baby and uh, before having, um, you know, more gray hairs than, than, than I have today. Um, I traveled a lot um, and I, I worked a lot. Uh, but if I, um, if I have to be quite frank here, it, it was a team effort. Um, and I, I attribute my success to my ability to put together a great team uh, in a very speedy manner. Um, how I was able to do that was um, the, the institutional knowledge. So by the time I got the job, I already had worked in, um, in the people department, which is what uh, JetBlue calls HR. I had worked in the finance department covering the operations. So I had traveled already across the system. I had visited the biggest airports and, and made very strong relationships with the, with the, um, the operators. And then I also had learned the brand and the brand management from my marketing background. So when I got the job where other people, uh, you know, if, if somebody came out from outside, that they would have taken much longer to solve problems. For me, it was a phone call. So um, I, I really need to, to make sure I, I give this credit where credit's due because it wasn't just uh, the team that I put, it was all my colleagues who responded every time I picked up the phone. Um, and that was amazing. Um, you know, my um, my my leader, uh, now now president of JetBlue, I used to say, you know, that I put together um, in six months a team that other people would take two years. I think that was key because without people that are passionate for, for the goal you have, uh, you really can't do it alone. Um, the second thing that I think enabled this speed to market uh, was the unbelievable support of the leadership. I mean, I... Every time I speak, um, you know, in public, I always say that the, the leadership team of JetBlue um, is phenomenal in, in the enablement of, of people. So, um, you know, the, the story specifically for, um, for the self-service program that I um, led and, and the, the, the lobby that we uh, redesigned in JFK, that was a pretty big program that it, it extended across America after. Um, the story is that, that when I went um, and to kind of learn how it's done in Canada, they told us um, that it takes 18 months to do something like this. And when I got back to New York and spoke uh, with my leadership, I said, listen, you know, I can speed this up and make it 12 months, um, shave six months off with the right team. At that time, I was alone, just one person team. Um, and they said, you have six. So that kind of, of, of a crazy timeline um, is not something that many people can do. So when I said, well, that's kind of impossible, they said, well, what if we say yes to everything you need? So no matter what um, you need, you can need money, you can need expedited procedure, you can you know, need something to be waived for your specific program as a, as a, pro, as a process uh, limitation. How about if we say yes to everything, can you take a stab at this? Um, and that's kind of how they convinced me. To be frank, I absolutely, Monsieur, use this, you know, whole pass <laughs> all the yeah. time. Uh, but they also didn't uh, say no to anything, right? They also kept their promise. Um, and the thing is, once you do something like this and you gather the right team, to be frank, then the inspiration carries over and everything else that followed was just an organization that was so inspired by, by what we were able to do ourselves, 
that um, they just kept saying, what else, Liliana? What else can we do? Um, and that's how it, it kind of, we started a movement in a way. It was very inspirational and, and a very special moment in my career. Yeah, it sounds really fascinating. You said a lot, and I really uh, want to summarize this. If a couple of uh, bullets let me know if I'm getting it correctly. So, first of all, it was the amazing team that you managed to build. Uh, then the cross-department support, uh, like picking up the phone and doing everything super quickly, as well as the 100% uh, C-suite backup. Uh, and the fact that uh, really you started with something very inspirational that led to the driving the entire organization forward. Yeah, I think you captured that. I think the only thing that maybe I would add as a fifth item is the culture that the, the customer centric culture that the organization had that um, by design, uh, people were just very, very passionate and centered around what the customer feels and does with their services products. Okay, yeah, great. Uh, we really see, especially like people might manage to build good teams and have a C-suite backup, but really this cross-department support that you're mentioning, many CX leaders are struggling with this. What would be your advice for them how to how to solve this piece? The, the cross-functional support? Right, yeah. Well, I think that is actually a reflection of the, of the the support the leadership support so and this is a great question actually because i i had a couple of peers even people with bigger titles than mine organizationally call me and say uh, you know hey how did you do this because i've been in my role for let's say four or five years and i, I still haven't done even half of what you accomplished there um and that's what i would say when we say senior leadership support what exactly that means uh, you know is important and devils in the details here um Right, maybe my third day in my new role, uh, my leader put me in a room and said, listen, this is the committee that you're going to form with these people across the organization and you will be meeting at your level every two weeks for this. And then here is the committee that I'm forming that you will manage and will be meeting once a month. Now, when I looked at this, it was the scariest moment and part of the, organ of the whole program, I'll be frank, because by that point, I hadn't managed, I mean, I had managed a cross-functional uh, group, uh, but on a much more tactical level, you know, not at a strategy and budgets and, and kind of like this big decisions level. Uh, and she was the one that sent the note. I think that's really important. She was the one that set the stage uh, in October and I started my work, you know, the, the, the lobby was done June the following year. She was the one that sent this letter, seizing these people, the leaders, and said, these are the people that will work with Liliana cross-functionally until this is done. And this is the uh, cadence and everything. So then, you know, in a way, she paved the way for me to just go and run with this. Now, other leaders, what I'm hearing, uh, meet only with that person, right? And they say, I'll support you, you know, whatever you need. But they don't go cross-functionally to to kind of socialize and advertise this as a as a company-wide important initiative the other thing that she did was she would like talk about us at every all hands meeting every public event um so indirectly she kept promoting us so consistently at every event at every even 
conversation with reporters. So that signaled the organization that uh, that's not just like the flavor of the month, that this is really something she wholeheartedly backs up and consistently believes in. Sounds fascinating. It's an amazing place to be uh, at a, in position uh, where really everyone stands uh, behind uh, CX and moving it forward. Uh, I wanted to ask you about generally um, people tend to really say that uh, CX is super different across different industries, but there are also a lot of similarities. Uh, so it would be interesting uh, to share really uh, some features uh, of a CX uh, program and success which are valid uh, no matter where you are, if you be in airlines or in other industries. Um, well, I mean, honestly, for me, I, I see the world as more alike than different in terms of cross-functional um, across industry experience in terms of customer experience. I mean, the first similarity that I would share is uh, self-service as a notion and as a building block of the experience. Um, what we did with the lobby from self-service perspective was manage lines. So any industry or experience that has a line that needs to be addressed, I think can benefit from the whole customer experience like block of, of, of self-service. What does that mean? You know, how do you enter a concert? How do you, um, you know, go and, and if these days post-COVID, how, how are you in line waiting for a grocery store? Um, how are you checking in as a patient in, in a patient experience? flow, uh, that touch point and the solution for it of uh, self-service, which in, in its essence is a digital transformation touch point because, you know, self-service only works if you were able to digitally collect more uh, information about your consumer ahead of time. So when they come with that touch point, all you need to do is verify and that makes it for a very seamless and fast interaction that um, eliminates the lines. Um, so that for me is a very big one. Um, another one that um, I, I really see a lot is um, this cross, um, I hate the word customer centric mindset, although we use it, but um, this whole concept that customer experience is not customer service. So what does that mean? Like it's the, 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 uh, the, the fallacy that I see across industries is that you know a customer experience is a department and what made for the JetBlue success was that everybody felt like part of this problem it wasn't just my team i mean my team was leading it and there was this implicit recognition that we know the path uh but everybody owned their touch point and or their their piece of the of the experience um so that is a similarity that if you go to any healthcare system or um, any even retailer, um, the understanding that not only frontline employees are customer experience um, owners, uh, but everybody across and enabling that, I think that's a common uh, piece. Um, and you know, what you do, I think is also a commonality. Um, even in our work, we see this, like it's the beginning and the end. Uh, I see companies like yours as a very uh, big, part of the puzzle, um, no matter what industry you're in, you need to be listening to your customers in order to understand if what you've built as a brand and as a design uh, is what they need or what they will 
to accept or to validate that the perceptions you were going for actually are coming to life in, in the operation. Uh, that's where I see this at the tail end. I mean, let's say if, if you want to do facial recognition, um, anything, you know, I have done boarding, but it can be any access to a store or anything. Um, validating that that the, the, the comfort levels of, of the consumer is where you want it to be, that there is no privacy concerns, that people are enjoying the benefit of this experience is equally important as asking them ahead of time uh, what are their concerns and what are what's their vision for the future. Absolutely, yeah. Totally agree with what you're saying, you know, the relevant uh, examples of really things which are valid across all industries and also it's great that you're providing so uh, interesting examples from your uh, background in the airlines industry. Um, you recently uh, started your uh, own CX consulting, and one of the core propositions that you have is uh, CX technology. Uh, why do you decide to include it as a piece of the entire proposition? Why Why did I decide to include technology? Yes. Yes. Well. Because everything is technology. <laughs> um, so, I mean, technology, um, in, so many people say it, but they don't do it. You know, yeah. the technology is not the answer, that we need to, um, you know, think through this. Unfortunately, I still get so many inquiries about which system do you offer or like which vendor should I work with? And then when I pick up the phone and I say, well, what's your strategy? And what are you trying to achieve? And what what is the design? Um, people kind of fumble a little bit and, and either don't pick up the phone again or go back to this transacting with a vendor. And I think this whole idea in, in differentiation between business partner and vendor is important here. Uh, and I kind of started thinking that way lately that people still think of technology as vendors and we need to stop that mentality. Uh, and I included technology, A, because I need it, I can't get anything done without it, uh, but B, because um, it really, the, the, the success of both technology providers and brands lays in this, you know, um, marriage, if you will, uh, that, uh, of, of design and technology. Uh, we're now speaking with um, even you know at a smaller scale a, a client that uh, needs customer um, customer experience enhancement with um, facial recognition and where did we start you know we start with requirements from the tech side but the next layer that we're laying now is well let's wrap this up in an experience because the technology by itself will not create an experience. <laughs> we, we need that other piece. Uh, but then on the other hand, if we are just going to design a path and, and some sort of a process and some sort of design, if we don't have the technology to really do the thing, uh, we haven't done anything. Uh, so I think technology um, is the foundation um, and we absolutely need it. Unfortunately, I still don't think that the right conversations are taking place. Yeah. So uh, to summarize what you just said, probably technology is a is the foundation. It's a neighbor. Uh, it can help you really 
uh, in the creation of the experience and uh, solving partially the problem, but without having uh, behind uh, the clear your clear strategy and idea of how you're gonna use it afterwards to really move to the next uh, stage of your CX maturity, uh, it won't be as useful as as otherwise. Yeah, and, and that's, I think that's where our earlier conversation about cross-functional partnership is really important. Going back to JetBlue, uh, some days I wasn't sure if I'm reporting into the Chief Customer Experience Officer or the CIO. <laughs> we were together yeah. all the time and, you know, I, I, I got calls from both and, and we were tied together. Um, and that's that's I think is what led to the success of the program as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there is uh, one concern uh, in companies like that: uh, technology removes the human element uh, from the customer experience. Um, do you agree with this one? And also, do you see uh, ways in which technology can even make CX more human in, instead of less? Um, that is such a it's, it's a very common sentence that I an expression that I've heard before. Uh, I I don't agree, but to be frank, I also think uh, devils in the design. So the challenge we have as customer experience professionals is that when the technology is not designed properly or the overall customer experience strategy wasn't in place when the technology was implemented. Uh, sometimes it does come across as inhumane and I think we should all recognize that as well there there are occurrences that prompt people to say stuff like this and, and it's it's something that um, we also are responsible to address um, for me technology uh, is the absolute tool and foundation for what we call intuitive design there is no way that we can um, anticipate in, in you know need, human needs uh, in real time without technology. We can anticipate them in theory, uh, but technology is going to enable that execution in the moment. Uh, even something as simple as why don't you know uh, you know let's say my credit card for my previous purchase? Why don't you suggest it? Or why wouldn't you recommend something in an e-commerce site? Um, that matches my preferences, all of this needs technology. The trouble is when you call some a bank, for example, and like I had a terrible experience and you say, hey, you know, I, I, I can't pay my people, I'm a business owner. And they say, well, it, it's, a, it's another company, we are integrating with them, I don't know anything, you know, figure it out. And it's just, it's the execution, right? That's not a human experience. Once you call a brand you interact with and because of a technology that didn't wasn't designed properly, now you have no support and you have somebody who is not helping. Um, so I, I used to say um, technology takes the transactions out of the system so we can create interactions that are more meaningful and that is absolutely valid. But as we become more technology saturated, we all need to hold people accountable uh, to create intuitive designs and to not just build technology for the sake of technology.
Yeah. Great. Love what you're saying uh, and the fact that you should be very careful and the devil is in the design of uh, when you're using technology exactly, uh, how we're going to implement it and what we're going to use it for. Um, in your current six consulting company, I know that currently you're doing a lot of work around uh, um, on the webinars and uh, training uh, around post-crisis period and how to guarantee growth. Um, can you tell us a bit more about this? Uh, and it will be very interesting also to shed light on how we can stay really relevant after the current crisis. Sure. Um, you know, at one of our webinars, we said we. I think we were. I don't think we ended up saying it, but we wanted to title it "Back to Basics." Um, I think um, uh, one to steal my own thunder for next week. One of the changes that I think we need to keep preaching um, and and kind of democratizing this as a, as a concept around the world is uh, to really uh, not allow your own anxiety and feelings um, be come out you know in in, in the post uh, post COVID design and experience um, we all need to be nurturers and really um, empathize with the various degree to which our customers uh, will um, feel anxiety uh, coming back to lot to their uh, lives uh, before COVID. I had a call with somebody yesterday about a daycare center in Canada, and you know, I, she was a board member, and I said, "Listen, at the end of the day, you have to tell your team that they'll make a mistake. You have to tell your team that some parent will complain." And I think that's important for all of us to know is that. There is no design that will be um, feeling safe and secure for everyone because everybody comes with a completely different risk profile, history of experiences, um, and, um, and, and perceptions about how safe we are right now. So the first thing I would advise everyone out there is to um, be kind to yourself and, and realize that uh, you just need to try and, and, and design something and when it numbers are matter, you know, like if 80% of, of your guests like it, I mean, that's good enough, you know, but, but be ready that there will be people that will still not be satisfied and not because they are bad. It's just because it's, it's that type of a, of a, of a time, you know, um, the second thing I keep talking to our uh, audiences about communications, um, people today need to be told uh, what's allowed, what to do um, because of the uncertainty and having communication also means you own your own customer experience um, and when I say communications I don't mean copying and pasting some you know city or guidelines or regulations I mean really read what's coming up and then internalize it for your own you know, company or experience that you need to, to guide and write an opinion. You kind of have to have an opinion right now and, and express it. So when customers come to you, they know what's allowed, what's not allowed or not allowed per se, but what you, what is your version of, of tomorrow <laughs> and what you want to experience as a, as a, you know, owner of the business. So then they, they know what to do when they come in. I think this is really, really important. And I'm talking about communications 
both ahead of time, sending people emails, and also um, telling people um, when, once they're in your space, what they need to do in terms of how should they, um, you know, just signage, basic signage. How should they act with, with what you're offering? Uh, I think these are important things to consider um, and also be positive. You know, I think uh, there are many good things that are also going to come out. Uh, digital transformation is where we started. I would say there are going to be many accelerated digital transformations right now. So you're up for some really seamless experiences that will come to life much faster uh, because COVID was this accelerator. Um, digital payments and, and contactless payment is one of those that um, we expect will come uh, forefront. Um, I, I spoke with somebody yesterday who said uh, that she worked on this in the 90s. So we're talking about 30 years, 30 years in the, in the making. Yeah, and now is the time that, I mean, there is an actual driver to accelerate this change. I think really empathy and, and, and bravery is the name of the game. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you have okay. to do this. You have yeah. to, you have to go for it. You know, it's like, you can't just stand and, and just keep trying. It's, it's, it's kind of like being agile as well. Put some stuff there out there and see how they interact. And if it doesn't work, change it until you get some version of the truth that uh, makes money for you. <laughs> Absolutely. This is really super insightful, Rilana, and uh, thanks a lot for sharing. Just before wrapping up, uh, I want to ask you, as you're one of the founders uh, of Chief Private Women's Club that supports women leadership and helps them stay at the top, uh, I really believe that we need uh, globally more women leaders, uh, but uh, I want to ask you about uh, CX and why we need more women leaders in CX specifically. Well, the customer experience is, um, is, is a psychological discipline as much as it is operational and, and marketing. So um, half of if half of the consumers are women. So if you have primarily men in, in the field, um, they most probably will miss the mark on empathizing with, with women. One, one of the um, jokes we had in chief was, you know, in the, in the venture capital and private equity world back in the day, the solutions for women's problems weren't um, unfortunately weren't getting funded because most of the people making the funding decisions were men so they didn't see these problems so um, they wouldn't address them uh, until we started having women uh, funding in the funding world um, and that's how you know some of the women quote-unquote problems started being addressed with innovative products um, so the mindset is, is really huge. Um, without disclosing the client, I had a, an experience that was quite interesting recently uh, of uh, us working on a culture, like a brand culture and um, kind of commitment in, in our product. We, we work with our clients to create this um, culture commitments that everybody in the company should follow and that are expression of their belief system from mission to values. 
and it was a work exercise and I had a only men group that created a commitment and then the women came as the next round to build on what the men had written and they immediately said oh wow that I don't feel comfortable with this sentence um, that to me was by itself a proof that you need both uh, and that if we didn't have women in the leadership, right? If I had only men in the executive team, yeah. nobody would have caught this, right? And it wasn't even like a mild, I'm not like, I don't like this. It was like, oh, like they had like a, a knee jerk reaction to the sentence because their connotations with these words are very different. Uh, so uh, you really need diversity, you need diversity of color diversity of gender, diversity of preferences, um, sexual preferences and, and gender identification. It's all of it that needs to be in a well-rounded leadership team uh, because that reflects, um, you know, the population and, and the world and the human the human design. Like the human design by itself needs to, to factor in all humans equally. So um, I think it's really, really important, especially for customer experience, uh, because customer experience is at the heart of the design of the human interactions. Absolutely. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for, for explaining this one. And uh, we're coming to a final question, which is a tough one, but if you can provide only one advice to the CX leaders, how to achieve a bigger impact, what it would be? I'll actually borrow an advice from a colleague of mine from you. Yeah, I think she said it correctly last year in one of our uh, webinars. Um, don't ask for small money. Go and do a bigger program, design a bigger program and ask for big money because that's where we fall short. When we go and ask for a little change, do incremental changes and then the return is not there and then the trust in the impact of customer experience goes down and then you're kind of locked out. Just be brave, think big, elevate your aspirations and design a program, a whole whole like end-to-end -end program and ask for that in, in maybe in phases, but show the leadership, the vision, because that's what gets money and funding and that's also what has bigger impact. Love this one. Yeah, it's really the way to, uh, to go forward in order to really make bigger impact. I'm pleased that I had as my guest today on the CX Impact Podcast, Liliana Petrova, CX leader and consultant who can help you go through the current crisis and become uh, more customer-centric and successful than ever before. Thanks for the very interesting conversation, Liliana. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mojo. You can find Liliana's details uh, in the comments below and if you want to continue the conversation about anything you heard today or learn how can GMC help you speed up your customer experience success, write us on the CXM path at gemsic.com. If you liked this episode, hit follow and visit gemseek.com to learn more. Let's make an impact on the world of CX together. Thank you for listening.